Amen, amen. Uh, praise God for the victory that we have in Jesus. You with me? What we could never do, he has already done. Praise Jesus. Hey, listen, if you got a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open it to John chapter number six, the gospel of John chapter number six. As you're turning there, uh, I read a story recently about a parakeet by the name of Chippy. Has anybody heard of Chippy? All right, I hope not. I hadn't heard about him until I read about him. And if you had heard about him, it would be a little uh, weird. But anyway, Chippy was your uh, normal uh, parakeet, whatever that might look like. Uh, he was happy as can be, perched in his cage, singing a beautiful song. That's typically how you would find Chippy. However, on this particular day, Chippy's owner decided it was time to clean out his cage. Now, this was not that big of a deal normally. Every week, uh, Chippy's owner would clean out the cage, clean up whatever mess was in there. I will allow you to use your own imagination about what that mess looks like. But this day was different in this. This particular time, Chippy's owner decided that it would be much quicker, easier, simpler for her if she just took the vacuum cleaner and sucked up the mess that was in Chippy's cage. All right, let your imagination run wild for just a moment. As the owner, as she was cleaning out the cage, her phone began to ring. Well, rang? Ring. It did ring. Anyway, it began ringing, and she did, like many of us would do. She reaches to grab her phone, and as she does, the vacuum cleaner goes up, and Chippy goes down, right? She realizes very quickly as she shuts off the vacuum cleaner that Chippy has been sucked into the vacuum cleaner. So she shuts it off, she opens up the bag, and to her amazement, there's Chippy, still alive, but full of dust. So she grabs Chippy out, she rushes him to the kitchen sink, grabs that sprayer thing, you know what I'm talking about, do you just call it a sprayer thing too? That's what I call it at our house. She takes the sprayer and washes down Chippy. Then she realizes, oh no, Chippy's wet, and and cold, so she rushes to the bathroom, plugs in the blow dryer, and begins to dry Chippy off. Now imagine this for a moment. Picture the scene of what Chippy must feel like, and I bet you would picture what you might feel like on many different days, or weeks, or months, or maybe the entire year of 2023, you felt like what Chippy felt like. Thrown into a vacuum cleaner, thrown to the sink to be pressure washed, blow dried by the hair dryer, thrown back into the cage as if nothing has ever happened, and maybe you feel just like Chippy. Let me introduce you to Chippy. <laughs> maybe you'd say, Danny, I resonate with that story. I resonate with that picture. My life feels like Chippy. Anybody out there feel like that some days? Like everything has just been a whirlwind that you can't even remember what just happened and you're stuck back in your cage. And listen to me, after this event, here's what you got to know. Chippy didn't quite sing like Chippy sang before this moment, right? This particular occasion shook some things up, changed a little bit about him. Well, here's what's true about each of us in this room. I know that's a crazy parakeet. I know that's a ridiculous story. I know that's a crazy picture. Matter of fact, I tried to find a picture of Corey when he wakes up in the morning so that we could show that for you, but I couldn't find one. Apparently, Brianna keeps those secret. But nonetheless, here's what I know. All of us have felt this way. All of us, at some point in time in our lives, we've faced some type of trial or struggle or trouble or tribulation. All of us, as the Bible puts it, has faced some type 
of storm. As a matter of fact, my Sunday school class uses a phrase often when we talk about the different things that we deal with in life. Here's the phrase that's typically used. You're either in a storm or you're headed into a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. But regardless, there is a storm somewhere in your life. And as Brother Evan prayed just a little bit earlier, Jesus has already promised us that storms would come. Later in the Gospel of John, he tells his disciples, he tells us, listen, this life will be filled with trouble. It's coming. But what we know Bad news, everybody's facing a storm. The good news, Jesus told his disciples, not only will you face the storms, the trials, the troubles, the tribulations, not only will they happen, but don't you worry because I have overcome them. Isn't it amazing to know that though we will face storms, Jesus is the master of it all. As a matter of fact, there's a really awesome occurrence in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, starting in verse 16, where we learn about a storm in which the disciples are going through. They've just seen Jesus feed thousands of people with barely nothing, and now, after such an incredible miracle, even though they may be at the highest of highs, what they don't know is right around the corner is a storm. Listen to what happens in John, chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. Here's what John records for us. When evening came, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. They're crossing the Sea of Galilee, going back where they came from. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Imagine that moment, darkness, scary, terrified. Jesus doesn't seem near. Then, listen to this, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. There it is again, right? Don't know where Jesus is. Don't know why they're in the middle of a storm. Don't know what they're going to do next. Whatever they see out there, they have no idea what it is, but they are terrified. How many of us have felt that way in life, right? Picture again, chippy and all of the chaos. But look at verse 20. But he said to them, Jesus said, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Jesus, right now, will you speak to us through your word? Father, we know all of us will experience storms, trials, troubles, tribulations. Each of us will go through our fair share of suffering in this life, but we are not alone. And even in the midst of the storm, You are in control. Father, right now, will you take this moment in John chapter 6 and will you speak directly to each of us this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we know each of us face storms. In fact, I think that is certainly the reason why Jesus wanted his disciples to go through storms. As a matter of fact, Jesus teaches his disciples, he teaches us this morning some important lessons about the storms of life that not might come, but will come. Let me show you the first one. First of all, there is purpose for the storm. There is purpose for whatever that storm is that you may face. Look back at John chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now, once again, listen, Jesus just finished feeding 5,000 people, probably more like 15,000 
plus people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. This, as you could imagine, amazed everyone who saw what Jesus could do. As a matter of fact, toward the end of this miracle, it amazed people so much that listen to what happened. This is back in John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Listen to the people. It says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, the multiplying of fish and bread, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving, this is Jesus, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now what's fascinating about this moment, this storm on the Sea of Galilee, is that it finds itself in both Matthew's account Mark's account and John's account. However, in the accounts of Matthew and Mark, they don't mention this uprising of the people to make Jesus king. As a matter of fact, they give us the scene a little bit different. Here's how they describe it. This is from Matthew chapter 14. Immediately, this is after the people have eaten the fish and the loaves. Everybody's happy. They've collected leftovers and everyone's uh, praising Jesus for the miracle. It doesn't talk about the uprising. Here's what it says. Immediately after this miracle, Jesus made the disciples, don't miss that, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Listen to it again. He made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he, by the way, dismissed the crowds. This is a little different from John's account. Why? Would Jesus send the disciples away? Why would he then dismiss the crowds? Why would he do it the way that he did it? Well, there's a couple of reasons that people believe. One is that some people believe Jesus did this to protect the disciples. Imagine this for a moment. The Lord sent the the disciples away, no doubt, to get them out of harm's way. He had to consider the ambition of Judas Iscariot. What would he do if he knew he could uh, uh, lead these crowds to do what they were thinking? The uh, impetuousness of Simon Peter, the zealotry of Simon the Canaanite, the tempers of James and John. What would this crazy ragtag group of disciples do if they were part of the chaos of the upright? of this crowd. It would never do for these disciples to fall in with the wishes of the crowd and to try to force his hand into accepting a crown that he did not want and he had no intention of accepting. He didn't want his disciples mixed up in the chaos that was happening in the crowd. By the way, he never wants us mixed up in the chaos that's happening with the crowd. Others think that Jesus sent them away before he dismissed the crowd because it was in fact his disciples that were the ones who were causing the crowds to make Jesus king. Now, if this is the case, I find it interesting because it helps us to realize even more how difficult the disciples were and, by the way, how difficult we can be. Think of all the things that we do that must make Jesus shake his head. How many times is he in heaven thinking once again, Danny, why did you do that? Why did you choose that way? Why didn't you follow me? Why do I got to do this again? How often does Jesus have to deal with our mistakes? In fact, according to Mark's account, even after all that the disciples had seen, all that was just done before them, miracle after miracle, here's what Mark says, after this moment, their hearts were hardened. You know what that means? It means that they still didn't get it. They still missed the work that Jesus was wanting to do. Friends, think about that for a moment. How often do we fit into, no pun intended, that boat? We miss 
what Jesus is up to. We want it to be a different way. We have our own plans. We have selfish desires. We want things like we want things because we think we know better and we miss it. I wonder, would Jesus not dismiss us as well? But either way, listen, whether you think it's because he was sparing them from the chaos or ending the chaos because it was their fault, here's the point that needs to be made about Jesus. He is the one who makes the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. You say, Danny, what do you mean he made them? Did he not know a storm was coming? Is he surprised by the chaos that they will face? Of course he knows they will face a storm, yet he sends them anyway. Why? Why? Why would Jesus send them into a storm? If he knows they're about to go through such chaos, surely Jesus would never want us to face that type of a storm. Well, friends, I got to tell you, he's the one who sent them. Why? Well, I think the answer, though difficult, is simple. You ready? Storms have purpose in our lives. Listen, I don't know if the storm in your life is going to be used to move you closer to the direction that God wants you to go. I don't know if the storm is going to be used to deepen your faith. I don't know if it's to reveal some sin in your life. I don't know if the storm is a result of your disobedience and something that you did that you shouldn't have done. I don't know all the different reasons for the storms or why we might be dealing with them. I'm not even saying that the storms are caused by God. That's not my point. All of them, though they may not be caused by him, are certainly opportunities for God to work in our lives. Let me prove it to you. This is from James chapter 1. Listen to these words. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Think about this. If the storms of this life have the purpose of making me perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, then shouldn't I too count it all joy that the Lord is bringing me through the storm. Friend, what if I told you that the storm in your life is so that the Lord can test your faith? Do you not desire for him to test you? What if I told you that the storm in your life is to produce steadfastness in you? Do you not want the Lord to produce something in you? What if I was to tell you, friend, that storm is an opportunity for the Lord to make you perfect, to make you complete, to make you lack nothing? What if the purpose in the storm is for Jesus to make you more like him? That's the case. If he's taking the opportunity, sending you, allowing you to face the storm so that he can make you more like him, then shouldn't we embrace the storm? Friend, I don't have all the answers to why you faced what you faced or why you will face the storms that are ahead of you. Sometimes storms happen in life because of the decisions that we've made. Sometimes it's the sins of this world. Sometimes it's because the devil desires to destroy our lives. There are an infinite number of reasons why the storms may come. But here's what I know. I know that Jesus allows us to go through whatever we go through in order to strengthen our faith and our knowledge of him. I trust that in all things, Jesus is at work. Here's how he put it to the church at Rome. He said, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So friend, listen to me. You're facing a storm. You're going into a storm. You just got out of a storm and you've got questions. Listen, you're gonna face some things that you don't know 
know how to deal with. All right, Danny, what do we do? Well, lesson number one, you trust Jesus because there is purpose for the storm. He may be working something that you have no idea about. He may be doing something in you that can't be done through any other means. There is purpose for the storm. Let me show you the second lesson that we learned. There is preparation for the storm. There's certainly purpose. Jesus is at work using all things to bring about his good in your life. But friend, can I just tell you something? There is definitely preparation for the storm. If we know a storm is coming, don't you think we will take the proper precautions? I want you to look back to John chapter 6, verse 15 once again. Look at it with me. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Don't miss this. Look at this. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. As a matter of fact, Matthew and Mark's accounts inform us that after Jesus sent his disciples away, after he sends the crowds away, guess what he does? He goes alone to the mountain to pray. John uses the word again. Why, Danny? Why would he say again? Because it's to remind us of the many times that Jesus spends alone with God. Now, I don't know why John leaves out some of those details. Maybe he just assumed that his readers would know that the disciples would wouldn't do anything unless Jesus told him to do it. Maybe he's given us other ideas about this truth, like whenever he said it was dark and Jesus had not come to them. Maybe he's implying that they were waiting for Jesus. They knew he would come. They weren't going to do anything apart from him. The difference in the details is not important. Here's what's important. What's important is that Jesus had a good reason to not be with them. Why? Because he needed some time alone with God. You know what Jesus needed? He needed a moment to refocus on his mission. Think about this for a second. The crowds wanted to make him their king. Who wouldn't want to be king? Who wouldn't want that glory and that power? Now think about it. Jesus already knows he's going to be king. How much of a temptation must it have been to say, you know what? I don't want to deal with the cross. I don't want to die for the sins of the world. I don't want to be forsaken by my father. You know what? They want to make me king. I've got the power and the right to be king. I'll just go ahead and be king. You say, no, Danny, Jesus was never tempted. That's not what the writer of Hebrews says. Listen. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Can you imagine the pressure that's on Jesus? But here's what he knew. He knew he had a much bigger mission to accomplish. So what does he do? He takes a moment to refocus to spend time alone with God so that he could remember the mission that he was there for. You know what it reminded me of? It made me think about how often I'm distracted by the pressures and the pleasures of this world. It reminded me of how many temptations come my way as well. It reminded me of the many storms that I cause in my own life because I didn't prepare for what was ahead. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Jesus, the creator of the universe, knew that he needed time alone with God to face the storms. You say, Danny, what storm? He knew he was going to have to climb on a cross. He knew he was going to die for sin like you and me. He knew the pain and the suffering that was ahead. So what did he need? He needed to prepare. How did he do it? He spent meaningful time alone with God. Friend, if Jesus needs that, because he knew 
that storms were. You mean, Danny, the perfect son of God, even he was not spared from the storms of this life? No, none of us are. I don't care how rich, how poor. I don't care where you come from. I don't care about what color your skin is. I don't care about any of that. Storms will meet all of us, even Jesus. So what did he do? He spent time with the Lord. If he needed to, listen to me, friend, if he needed to, how much more do you and I need to be prepared for the storms that are ahead? Of course we need to be prepared. I don't want to live for myself. I want to refocus my heart on the mission of God. I don't want to give in to sin and selfishness and this world. There's a bigger mission, a bigger purpose that God has for me. Well, what do I do when I'm getting off a track? I get alone with God in his word and prayer, and I ask him to work in me. Listen to this scene, verse 17 and 18. It was dark. Jesus had not yet come to them, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Friend, does that feel like life at times? How many times have we experienced that kind of darkness? How many times have we experienced that aloneness and, and, and afraid? How many times have we experienced the storm that was approaching, the strong winds that are blowing? How many times has the waves beat against the boat of our lives? Plenty of times. Well, what do you do? When the storms are ahead, well, I pray that you spend time alone with God. I wonder if that darkness, that alone feeling that they had, that storm that was approaching, I wonder if they were so afraid. I wonder if they were so scared because they were not prepared like Jesus was prepared for the storm that was about to approach them. Listen, these are experienced fishermen. They've been on the Sea of Galilee plenty of times. They knew because of its location at any minute, the, the wind could change and the calmness of those waters could become chaos. They'd experienced plenty of times. You're telling me now they're not prepared well, I think this is true of all of us in our lives. Even though we know storms are coming, sometimes we don't do the proper preparations that are needed to be ready for the storm. Listen, we live in Mississippi. Somebody told you that a Category 5 hurricane or a F5 tornado was coming tonight. We'd be running around like crazy people, right? We'd be collecting food and water, gas, sandbags, tying stuff down in the yard, boarding up windows. We would be doing all kinds of things if we knew a storm was coming. Well, friends, they're coming every day in our spiritual lives. Why do we not think we need to prepare ourselves for the storms ahead? Oh, there is purpose for the storm. There is preparation for the storm. Jesus got away to spend time with God. Do you? Let me show you the third lesson we learned. There is promise for the storm. Promise. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Look back at verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. But, or and, they were frightened. Now I want to point something out because you missed this. If you don't understand what rowing about three or four miles means on the Sea of Galilee. Listen, the Sea of Galilee is about six miles from one side to the other. I think in the United States, the Sea of Galilee would be like the 80th largest lake in America. Like it's not a very big 
lake as far as lakes are concerned. And for them, they had only rowed about three or four miles. Now, these are experienced fishermen. They had spent all night and only rowed three miles. Now, it was dark or nearly dark when they left the boat. Even if we said it was about 7 p.m. when they left, and likely it was even earlier than that, they should have reached the other side in less than three hours. But let's just say they left at 7. They should be on the other side at 10. And even if they were, that's a slow pace for these guys who rode a boat plenty of times. Yet, listen to me, according to Matthew and Mark's account, the disciples were only three miles halfway out across the sea at around 3 a.m. in the morning. Now focus for a moment. They'd been rowing for somewhere around eight hours or more and had barely made it three miles. Now I know what you're thinking, Dan, you don't understand. After Christmas break in the new year, I can't row but three miles in eight hours either. You know what I'm saying? But that's not how they were. They should have been much further along. Why were they not? Well, the reason is simple. Just as we read in John, there was a strong wind blowing against them. Now, I want you to help you understand this. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize it. I don't know if the devil's behind the strong wind. Now, we know Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. We know that from Job that Satan has the ability to use nature at his disposal. In fact, according to the book of Revelation, there are angelic beings that have power over the forces of nature. I don't know if the devil had something involved here or if this is just simple. Uh, the natural elements of a fallen world. I don't know exactly what's at work, but here's what I do know. I know that none of us will get very far on our own against the strong wind of this world. You say, Danny, what do you mean? We can row for hours and hours, but if we're rowing on our own, we won't get very far very fast. How many of you can attest to that? I have tried to get through the storm on my own. I've tried to work it out in my own power. I've tried to do everything that I could do. I've picked myself up by my own bootstraps. Danny, I'm doing everything I can. Well, friends, please, please, please don't miss the promise for the storm. You can't do it, but Jesus can. As a matter of fact, I think this is why we're told that they were frightened You see, according to Matthew's account, the distance of the disciples from land is described like this. The boat by this time was a long way from the land. I don't think he's talking about they had rowed a long way. I think he's talking about they're a long way from being safe. I think he's saying they got a whole lot further to go and they're never going to get there on their own. But don't miss it. In this distance from the land with nothing but water in their sight through the midst of the the, the waves, through the wind-blown hair and guards, through the darkness, they see a man making his way toward them. Now listen, they don't know who it is at this moment. According to Matthew and Mark's accounts, the disciples say it's a ghost out there on the water. They didn't really know it was Jesus. If someone was walking on the water, it either had to be a dream or it had to be a ghost. Is this not how life goes for us so often? You say, Danny, what do you mean? When I try to deal with the storms of life on my own, I end up tired, I end up afraid, I end up alone, and I don't even recognize Jesus when he's right in front of me. You with me? But in the midst of the storm, as John put it, the sea became rough. As Matthew put it, the boat was beaten by the waves. In the midst of the storm, Jesus comes up to the boat walking 
taming, commanding the very part of nature that none of them could ever have control over. Think about it, friends. They may be beaten by the waves, but Jesus commands them. They have no power over the sea. It could destroy each of them in a moment when the winds picked up, when the storm came. The seas could do whatever it wanted to those men, but not Jesus Jesus came, not tossed by the seas, but walking on them. What might be the end for us is nothing more than stepping stones under the feet of Jesus. This is why he says in verse 20, it is I, do not be afraid. They had nothing to fear. They didn't have to fear the winds. They didn't have to fear the sea. They didn't have to fear the storm. They didn't have to fear the ghost that was walking on the water. They had nothing to fear, nothing to be afraid of. Why? Because Jesus was with them, or as he put it, it is I, or literally, I am. So stop fearing. Listen, for these early disciples, they understood what Jesus meant when he used this phrase, I am. They would have instantly been taken back to Moses when God appeared to him and Moses said, who should I tell the people that's come to me? And God said, I am who I am. I am has sent me to you. You know what we get to do in this moment? We get to meditate on what those early disciples didn't yet know, that Jesus is God, the Messiah who came to save the world. We get to see his power over the winds, over the waves. We get to see him walk on water before his disciples. Friends, don't miss this. The storms are coming. There's purpose. There's preparation, no doubt, but bigger than all of it, there's a promise for the storm. You say, Danny, what is it? Jesus is there. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. Listen, he could have met them on the other side, but he doesn't. He wants them to go through the storm so that he could show up in the middle of it and prove once again, he is God. Friend, the next time you face a storm, I want you to remember something. What's over your head is under his feet. Amen? There's purpose, there's preparation, there's promise. Let me show you this last one, lesson that we learned. There's presence for the storm. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Look back at verse 21. I love this moment. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And I pray right now for somebody in this room, I pray that you would be glad today to take Jesus into the boat. Watch what happens when they do. Immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. Immediately, Jesus took care of each of them. Now listen, I'm not saying that all your problems are gonna go away the moment that you surrender your life to Jesus, but what I am saying is that those problems seem a whole lot smaller when you have the presence of Jesus in the midst of your problems. Listen, this scripture isn't about Jesus asking us to leave our boats, although he does ask disciples to leave their boats. This scripture is not about Jesus sleeping on a boat, although he is found at some point sleeping on a boat. This moment of scripture is not about Jesus even asking us to step out of the boat, although he will do that. No, this moment is about Jesus getting into the boat with us. Though Jesus doesn't prevent them from the storm, he is present with them in the storm. I love how the psalmist put it. It says they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. Listen to this. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Now listen to what it says. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and that he brought them to their desired haven. Friend, that's what Jesus wants to do. 
in the middle of the storm, he wants to bring you to the best place you can go. You say, Danny, what are you talking about? He wants to bring you to him. There are no natural laws that Jesus doesn't control. He multiplied fish and loaves because he controls everything. Liquid acts as solids because Jesus controls everything. Time itself is nothing compared to Jesus because he controls everything. As a matter of fact, you know what this always reminds me of? For several years, we took groups of students to partner with an organization called Mission Arlington. And while we were there, we would work with backyard Bible clubs where we would teach children in apartment complexes what it looked like to give their life to Christ. We would sing songs, we'd teach them the Bible, we'd play games, we'd give them snacks. I mean, it was a great time. But I'll never forget, one of the songs that we always did was a song by the name of With Jesus in the Boat. Some of you might remember this children's song. It pretty much goes like this. With Jesus in the boat, we can smile in the storm. Smile in the storm, smile in the storm. With Jesus in the boat, we can smile in the storm while we're sailing home. Do you remember this? Sailing, sailing home. You might've did, you know, I don't know, whatever motion. Sailing, sailing home. With Jesus in the boat, we can smile through the storm while we're sailing home. Now listen, I know that's just a little kid's song. I'm with you. Maybe you sang it when you were a kid, maybe not. As a matter of fact, we always took a word out and you couldn't sing a word when you did it, such as with, in the boat, you could smile in the storm, smile. Anyway, we won't go into that. But here's what I remember from that song, simple kid's song, but a powerful truth. You say, Danny, what do you mean? You're gonna face storms. There's no doubt about that. You may not be in one right now, but that probably means you're about to go into one. You might be in the middle of one. You say, Danny, I don't see a way out. You might be ending it and thinking, praise God, I'm glad it's almost over. It don't matter. We're all going to experience storms in this life. Here's the question you got to ask yourself. If you know your boat in the middle of the lake is going to be in a storm, who do you want in the boat? Do you, friend, want Jesus in the boat with you? I know I do. Now listen, I love Jesus, I'm a Christian. I've been saved for many years, but can I tell you the truth? There are plenty of times in my life where I'm in the middle of a storm, out in some boat, in the middle of the water, and guess what I do? I push Jesus as far away as I can. Anybody like that? You say, I know he's here, I know he wants to help me, but when is the last time I asked him to be in the boat in the middle of the storm? Christian, listen to me. Why would you want anybody else? Hey, hey, friend here today that doesn't know Jesus, how can you even face these storms? If you don't know Christ, I don't know how you can. Maybe you've been thinking the same thing. Danny, I don't know how I am either. Well, friend, listen to me. Today, that can all change. Will you invite Jesus into the boat? Listen, we're going to go through storms. There's purpose for the storms. We're going to go through storms. There's preparation for the storms. Jesus gave us everything we needed. Listen, we're gonna go through the storms, but there's a promise for the storms. We're not alone. There's presence in the storm. Jesus wants to be with us. Friends, it's a new year. We're gonna face storms this year. But maybe this year could be different for many of us because we can realize that we need Jesus in the boat. Listen, if that's you, maybe just for a few moments, you spend some time with Jesus today. If you're a Christian, and ask Jesus to be in the boat. 
Thank him for what he's done for you. Commit to spend time preparing for the storms that are ahead. Look at them with the purpose that God has in mind for them, knowing that you have a promise of Jesus with you. Thank him today. Ask him to help you commit to that. Listen, if you don't know Jesus, I'm just a moment, I promise, I'm going to stop talking. Amen. And I'm gonna go back there to that lobby. And if you're here and you say, Danny, I'm not a Christian. I don't know Jesus. Here's all you got to do. When we start singing in a moment, if you'll just leave that pew, come back there to the lobby and say, hey, hey, Danny, listen, I need Jesus in the boat. That's all you got to say. And I'll take my Bible and I'll tell you how you can invite Jesus into your life today, how you can make him the Lord and Savior of your life. Listen, I don't know what you need to do, but here's what I know. We all face storms. Me too. And we all need Jesus in the boat. How about we spend some time with him? Father, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. You are awesome.